This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Professor Mike Usine, Jeffrey Klein, and Anne Greenhall. Welcome to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Ann Greenhall, Deputy Director of the Ann and John McNulty Leadership Program here at Wharton. And tonight I'm here with my dear co-host and friend, Mike Usim, who is the Director of the Center for Leadership and Change Management Hello, at Ann. Wharton. How are you, Mike? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Very good. In the first hour, we're going to be talking about blockchain technology a subject I know very little about. How about you, Mike? Uh, I'm right in the same category, so we're in the (laughs) same club. (laughs) We're going to learn a lot. Let me uh, invite our first guest to the show and welcome Saeed Hussein, Chief Commercial Officer for Bankex. So welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Saeed, we're going to talk today about blockchain technology. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a little sense of how you found your way into this industry? Oh, boy. Yeah. So interestingly enough, uh, the way that I got into blockchain was uh, as a, believe it or not, as a cynic of Bitcoin. Okay. So my history is uh, I've I've been a serial entrepreneur, and uh, my background is on the capital market side as well as on the high-tech emerging technology side. So when the whole Bitcoin sort of revolution uh, or the hype around Bitcoin was going on, I had a couple of folks approach me and they kept on asking me, hey, man, you know, we're, we want to invest in we want to invest in Bitcoin, we want to invest in Bitcoin, what's going on with this cryptocurrencies? And the, my, the cynic inside of me was, uh, was, was just like, let me, let me look into this, right? Because it, it, it doesn't seem like it's uh, something that, that, that makes sense. So let me open up the hood and, and, and take a look at what's underneath. So I started to do just that. And um, the way I started was at the source itself. So I went mm. to uh, the white paper written by Satoshi Nakamoto, uh, which was mm. uh, titled Bitcoin, uh, a peer-to-peer network. And um, as I started reading it and as I started going through it, the cynic started to convert into – an evangelist. <laughs> okay. So literally as I was uh, – we've all heard of the uh, – writing the, the napkin oh, – the ideas yeah. on the mm-hmm. napkin, right? So mm-hmm. for me, that's exactly what started to happen. As, as I was reading it, I was like, oh my god. This is, this is a lot more than what people are saying that it is, right? People, we haven't even – we haven't even just, just brushed the surface on, on this thing. There's so much more to it. So I started to I started to apply use cases literally as I was reading the white paper. I'm like, oh my god, this is something that could be applied not just to finance, but it could be applied to supply chain. This is something that could be applied to healthcare. This is something that could be applied to government. And I just started jotting these things down, and that's where I was. Uh, I went back to my guys who came to me originally, and I said, uh, buy. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> get into this. There's there's a lot more to this, and uh, and immediately I was uh, the first thing that I started to to look at was how can I get involved in it? Not just from an investment perspective mm-hmm. for purchasing Bitcoin, but how can I get inside this uh, this this technology, uh, the underlying technology that supports Bitcoin, which is blockchain. Mm-hmm. So what's it all about? And uh, and the more and more I started to learn the more and more I realized how much more there was for me to continue to learn. So uh, I started to uh, – fortunately for me, the uh, my advantage was the fact that I'm here in New York City, which is basically the hub of uh, the mm-hmm. capital markets, mm-hmm. uh, the hub of innovation in terms of, uh, of, of this uh, – of the whole – cryptocurrency and the mm-hmm. blockchain revolution. So I started to educate myself by going out and, 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 and just getting more and more acclimated with it. That's how I, that's how I got my, uh, my start into, uh, into the blockchain world. That's great. So from a cynic to evangelist, uh, you said along the way that we tend to have a common understanding of Bitcoin. What would you say the common understanding is? And give us a little insight into how yours differs. I think I, I think it depends on when we say when we say common. Um, it depends on which commonality mm. we're referring to. Mm-hmm. Are we referring to the uh, the common belief that exists amongst the believers, or are we talking about the common belief that exists amongst the naysayers? Because both of them have opposing viewpoints. Um, for me, though, what I would say is that. Generally speaking, there is a lot of misconception okay. around bit uh, around uh, around Bitcoin, uh, what its what its use case is, what its uh, what what the applicability of it um, is in today's terms as well as in tomorrow's terms. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the one of the most difficult pieces for people to grasp is they're trying to understand a future technology within the confines of what's happening today. And that's a very limited perspective. So for me, what got me to to, to really understand the technology a bit more – and for me, it was also um, – Full transparency for for me it was also a little bit easier be- only because I had a so an entrepreneurial mindset mm-hmm. combined with a, techno- a, a right. technology mindset right mm-hmm. so I was always involved in the emerging technologies and for emerging technologies the reason you call them emerging is because they're not what's happening today it's what's going to happen towards the future but I think for most people if they truly want to understand the applicability of Bitcoin or blockchain or any mm-hmm. sort of a or, or even mm-hmm. cryptocurrencies it's it's very very important that they Frame it within, within, uh, within a futuristic con- uh, context, as opposed to what's happening today in the present, and that will help you understand the applicability, uh, the applicability of it. It'll make it a lot easier. And mm-hmm. I can give an example of this, right? So imagine if you were in the early 1990s, and in the early 1990s, if you were trying to go up to someone and and try to explain to them, hey. We've got this revolutionary technology that's going to be coming out, and what that's going to allow you to do is it's going to allow you to 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 send your letters, right, your, your mm-hmm. mode of communication that you want to, whether it's communicating through the government or whether it's communicating with someone who uh, sits uh, across across uh, the the ocean on the other side. But you're not going to ha- you can completely bypass the traditional forms of doing so. Well. In the 1990s, most people 
the cynicism that or the criticism that they would have would be, are you kidding me? <laughs> this, the, the, there's no infrastructure. I mean, we've spent millions and uh, literally we've spent billions upon billions on setting up this kind of an infrastructure. You're, you think that by coming in and introducing this this ridiculous technology, you're going to be able to bypass that and, and institute something like that? And fast forward to where we are today, and uh, who even deals with uh, with regular mail? As a matter of fact, we have a negative term for it now. We call it snail mail mm-hmm, mm-hmm, versus mm-hmm, email mm-hmm, versus other mm-hmm. kinds of digital transform uh, d- digital communication mm-hmm. technologies. So for me, it's uh, it's it's if you can think of it in those terms, mm-hmm. you'll you'll have a much better understanding of it. That's good, Mike. Uh, well, listen, great to have you on the program, and in a sense, it's a little bit of a unique opportunity for Anne and me and yeah. our listeners to get into, and I like the analog with how we now think about the Internet more readily than we could have conceived, conceivably thought about it uh, 15 years ago. We're going to, uh, if if you don't mind, walk through for, for us and for our listeners uh, some of these terms, I've got three I've mm-hmm. written down here, Bitcoin, blockchain, and cryptocurrency. Right. <laughs> Seems like we take two words to talk about whatever we're talking about here. Let's begin with uh, cryptocurrency. Why is it crypto and why is it currency? Great. So so currency, think of uh, think of currency. What, what is a currency in, in the context of how we understand it to be today? So a currency is nothing more than a means of exchange, a means of exchange of value. So what you're doing is you're con- you're converting one source of value for something else. Before, when we first started out, if you go back to when, as human beings, when we were just beginning to evolve, we used to exchange one source of value for another source of value without actually having any sort of a um, a standard, mm-hmm. and that was called the barter system. Then we evolved, and we started using the first form of currency, which was stone. Right? Uh, we we started do- dealing with that. That's why we have a Stone Age. That's why. <laughs> Very good, Mike. <laughs> so uh, today, what? So so over the course of time, what people started to do was they the the mode of currency started to evolve. So we went from stone currency to what we would call fiat currency, paper currency, and then we moved on to the digital age. Now, in the digital age. When you can hold transactions where you don't need something physical, everything can be done digitally, mm-hmm. the problem always had been so, – so the concept of a digital currency is was was uh, nothing revolutionary in today's day and age. Mm-hmm. This is the, the, the concept of digital currency has been something that's been thrown around since the dawn of the internet, right? That was one of the first things that people thought about was how can we – how can we – leverage uh, – how can we create a digital currency? The problem with digital currency or anything digital was you when – you, when you send digital currency, right? So, so today, the difference between mm-hmm. physical and digital is if I were to – and for, for the listeners that aren't, uh, that, um, that, that aren't viewing it, I'm just doing a quick uh, visualization so, here. OK. Visualize everybody. <laughs> yeah. yeah so I'll, I'll, I'll visualize. So if I take this – I have a bottle of water in front of mm-hmm. me. If I were to take this one bottle of water and if I were to give it to, give it to Anne, then this has become Anne's bottle of water mm-hmm. and I no longer have that bottle mm-hmm. of water because it's an actual physical asset that I've transferred over. Mm-hmm. So 
with currency, if it's physical currency, it's very important that when I give you a form of currency, the moment I hand it to you, I no longer am in possession of it. Mm-hmm. That is – that was with, – with the problem with digital currency always was that it's very easily replicatable. And we saw mm-hmm. this. We saw this with Napster when Napster came out with, 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 with the sharing of uh, digital assets, uh, music, movies. We see this today in the world of piracy. Well, imagine if that could be done with a uh, – if, if that could be done with something like music or with some, some any kind of a, a digital – rights uh, uh, platform or component, what would that – that would cause sheer chaos uh, in the economic markets if you have money and I have money. The whole reason why money has value is because only one person can have it at any given point in time, right? That's that, that same store. So crypto, the reason why crypto comes in is crypto is the security. So crypt, it, it comes crypt, – the term crypto is a short form for, uh, for, for cryptographics and uh, cryptography. And, uh, and and cryptography is a highly secured mechanism for ensuring that it becomes extremely difficult to near impossible to break into break into the uh, in, in, into the, the actual code itself. So currency combined with cryptography put together was what we called cryptocurrency. So. It's these two components, but that still doesn't solve for the double spend problem that I was alluding to earlier mm-hmm. with the bottle of water. So if I gave it to you, it's very important that I don't have it anymore and mm-hmm. that and, 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 and the asset has been transferred with banks that happens today. So banks still sort of deal mm-hmm. with a digital currency when whenever we are – if I write a check to you, it's not a – physical currency that I've given to you. It's 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 numbers that they have mm-hmm. and on that they're storing on their ledger versus what I'm storing on my ledger. So now we're moving on to blockchain. So we understand mm-hmm. the, what cryptocurrency is. Now let's talk about blockchain and why blockchain applies to cryptocurrency and why blockchain was the reason behind the rise of cryptocurrency and why cryptocurrency has the value that it has today. So when you're in a bank you give that you. I write a check, so I've already given Anne the uh, the bottle of water. Mm-hmm. So now I'll give Mike the uh, the, the, check, <laughs> the check, right? Just okay. to be fair, yes. Just to be fair. <laughs> so I will. I, I write Mike out a check for a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Now it's imp- and at the same time, I also write you Anne a check out for a hundred dollars. But in my bank account, I only have a hundred dollars. Now mm. the moment that you deposit that check. A hundred. Your bank is going to put in a hundred dollars. I'm running your to bank. the bank. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I've already left the room. Okay. <laughs> Mike has a hundred dollars, and I have a hundred dollars. So out of a hundred dollars, I've created three hundred dollars. I've introduced mm-hmm. into the economy. The way that you control that is that what bank? It's through the settlement process. Mm-hmm. So the moment a bank were to were, were to um, write it, they would store it. They would. Do a, they would verify that transaction with my bank and make sure that, hey, okay, this has been done. So the first person to deposit it is able to do that. Now, this is a very manual, laborious process across banks. Blockchain technology, what blockchain technology did was blockchain introduced the, introduced the, uh, the notion of a trustless uh, – of instituting a trustless society, right? So the blockchain protocol is actually called – it's also known as the trust protocol. Because what it what what it does is 
the very core of of, uh, of blockchain and what fuels Bitcoin is that it alleviates that double spend problem. So the moment that there's a record that gets uh, that gets put out, not only and it actually does it even better than the banks because there's no central. Uh, there, there's no um, central storage for it. It's completely decentralized. So there's two aspects to it. It's centralized. Oh, sorry, it's decentralized, mm-hmm. and then on top of that, it's distributed. So it's decentralized mm-hmm. and distributed. What does that mean? You imagine in so in, in the bank today when they store our records, that record is stored centrally mm-hmm. inside the bank. Now. Inside the bank, what happens, and this happens all the time, and we've been hearing about it more and more and more, hacks. Someone gets mm-hmm. into it, your information is compromised. All a hacker needs to do is attack, uh, is attack a central location, and that's it. Your information is compromised. Now, imagine if you could take what's stored. First of all, whatever it is that's stored in that central location, imagine a world where that is not stored mm-hmm. completely. Instead, it's broken out into chunks where if you were to take – it's only if you were to take the uh, the part itself, it's meaningless, but it's the summation of the parts that's, that holds value. And in gr- getting the summation of the parts, only a specific person with the right key can unlock it. Mm. That is the power of blockchain. Very good. Let's mm. pause there just to remind mm. listeners who you are and we are. This is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Channel 132. I'm your host, Ann Greenhall. I'm here with Mike Yuseem. And tonight we have the real pleasure of speaking with Saeed Hussein, and he is Chief Commercial Officer for Bank X, a global financial technology company. And I'm wondering if you ever did any time teaching, Saeed, because I actually now feel I have a grasp <laughs> on crypt- cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. And I know you were on your way to talk about Bitcoin. <laughs> so please. So yeah, uh, so, so I'll address uh, both the points. One is I'm glad that you have been able to understand because this is, this, this is a fairly complicated subject and a part and parcel of me being an evangelist for blockchain is to explain it to the layperson. And, uh, and and believe it or not, it's most people tend to overcomplicate it. It's not as complicated, and that's the only way that adoption is uh, is, is is going to increase. And and uh, and that's what, as an organization, that's one thing that BankX tries mm-hmm. to institute mm-hmm. all the time is we try to evangelize and educate. And on your point of education, for me on a personal front, um, have I have I have I um, am I in the business of education? Formally, no. no. Informally, yes, yes, because I am a father of three kids. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> with that being said, that, yeah. with that being said, I think I learn more than I teach from them. <laughs> I can appreciate that. But now, how about Bitcoin? Make you know, draw the thread. So, blockchain. So we understand cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. We understand blockchain. So, what is Bitcoin? Well, Bitcoin was the first, the first use case for blockchain technology. And when I see the first use case, it's it's very, very important to understand that it wasn't the only use case, which is, again, this goes back mm-hmm. to some of the confusion that exists. So Bitcoin's primary use case was, was um, because of the underlying fundamentals of what blockchain technology allows you to do. 
and it was because of that that people used it for to use it as a currency, and that's mm-hmm. how crypt, the, the the notion of cryptocurrency started to come in. Now, how did Bitcoin come into existence? Well, Bitcoin wasn't something which was a <clears throat> it wasn't something that was proactive. Actually, Bitcoin was something that was reactive. Mm-hmm. So it was actually a reaction to the frustration that existed in the current economic or, or, or during the current economic situation at that given point in time. So if we go back exactly 10 years to the, uh, to the, the Great Recession, as we like to term it, there was a lot of frustration uh, with the way that, that people were, were – the impact of that recession on individuals. Yeah. There was frustration around how the, the people's perception of how the government was reacting and how their money was uh, being controlled. And so out of that, people stopped – really, people stopped trusting the, uh, the, the government, right? If you take a look at the – and this goes back to one of the primary – uh, one, one of the primary criticisms that a lot of the naysayers of Bitcoin come back to, which is what is it backed by, right? There's no asset. There's no, un, there's no underlying asset that, that backs it. But if we think about that and we apply that same, same notion to the fiat currency, our fiat currency, what is that backed by? What's the asset that's backing it? Because we moved off of the actual asset-backed system of the gold standard back in the 1970s. And what it's backed by is really the intrinsic value behind it is the full faith of the people that they have in the government. But what happens when that faith itself starts to erode? That's what started happening in 08. So when that started to erode, what people went back to was you had this group of, I would say, hackers, um, these called the the cyberpunks and they were crypto, you know, cryptographers and hackers and they came up with uh, uh they they were constantly thinking about these things so, so you could even call them sort of uh, you know socialist anarchists and uh, they came up with the with with doing something about it and they said well you know what we're going to we're going to put our trust not in people but we're going to put our trust in the universal laws that bring everything together, mathematics. All right. We have time for maybe just one more question before the break. Mike, do you want to take that? Uh, Well, just to pick up on where we are, to pause for a minute and make this extremely tangible for for listeners, let's say, Saeed, I'd like to transfer $5,000 to Indonesia. I've got a family member there at the moment. Uh, I can go to PayPal. I can go to maybe even Apple Pay or a couple other channels like that. I can go through ordinary banks. I can put it on a credit card. So there are a lot of ways in which to move that currency uh, across that particular divide. So one kind of obvious question is, is how do we take dollars and then convert them over to Bitcoin and then the reverse at the far end? probably easier for you to do that than to open up a PayPal account and transfer your funds over to PayPal. So – and I, I've, I've been there, done that. Um, the 
And by the way, everything is uh, in the the world also has evolved quite a bit in terms of KYC, in terms of AML. So uh, KYC, know your customer, AML, uh, anti money laundering. So everything has been, uh, generally speaking, uh, everything has been streamlined. So how you would go about doing it is you just go. It's as simple as going online, opening up your own, uh, creating your own wallet. And uh, the counterparty on the other side would do the same exact thing. All you need is their wallet address. You send it to them. And that, by the way, that wallet address, so there's two types of wallet addresses they're going to have. They're going to have a public and a private. They will give you their public wallet mm-hmm. address. You deposit the money there. Done. And the money is Bitcoin, U.S. dollars, Indonesian rupiah. All the above, none of the above. The money went at the point of transfer. So, so here's another interesting thing, right? So, we 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 spoke about cryptocurrency, we spoke about blockchain, we spoke about Bitcoin. In the spirit of education, there are multiple currencies outside of Bitcoin uh, that 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 are there as well. So, you could actually transfer those funds using Bitcoin. You could use it. Uh, you could transfer it using Monero. Using Ethereum uh, uh, or Ether, uh, um, it, it could be done across a variety, and they're 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 fungible, and they are convertible to uh, to 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 depending on the exchange that that, that you're at to uh, to any local currency. By the way, a quick editorial statement, then over to Anne <laughs> to give us a break. Uh, I'll put my words on this. Bitcoin is to this world the way the Uber is to shared services. It's sort of the dominant player, but there are many other enterprises out there. Uh, so, Saeed, maybe I'd like to pivot here and have you talk a little bit more about some of the advantages of this kind of currency. Sure. So, you know, one of the things that's also really, really interesting, and a lot of the questions that I get is whenever I'm in – I play a I play a role in a lot of these uh, conferences where where I'm at and get a lot of questions around blockchain and around Bitcoin and around cryptocurrencies and one of the the common questions that always comes up is people ask why do we need it you know, look we've mm. got a banking system everything is working perfectly fine why why do we even need this why why fix something if it ain't broke? Mm-hmm. And my response to them is a very simple one. You're right. It's a why do we need it? But you're thinking about it from a very, very, very <laughs> minority's perspective, which is the developed world. Mm-hmm. You know, where when Bitcoin first started and even the use case of Bitcoin and, and a lot of these cryptocurrencies – it's not within the developed world. The developed world is using it more for speculative purposes, more as an investment. But the actual practical utility of these are in the undeveloped world, third world countries where you have inflation skyrocketing, where you have, uh, where, where you have people who, who all of overnight, they, they have become they've, – they've just gone into poverty because – and the assets that they were sitting on are worthless now. So the utility for this is actually more on under on the uh, in, in the underdeveloped world, which, by the way, is the vast majority of the world. And that's been the rise behind the mm-hmm. utility and the network effects that something like a like a, a Bitcoin has gotten. So 
it's easy for us to sit here, uh, you know, and, and talk about it's not an issue for us in, in the first world. But I would even say to that that if it wasn't an issue for us in the first world, it would not have come from the first world. So, mm-hmm. Saeed, let me ask you a quick question on that very point apropos a development we all look at with great horror, which is the runaway inflation in Venezuela. Yeah, right. And as we all know, the governments uh, sought to control that in part by putting barriers to moving money out of the local currency, let's say, into dollars to protect it, uh, to hedge against that loss of inflation. What I hear you saying is if I'm a, a Venezuelan person with a little money left, if I can get it over to blockchain, um, I'm going to achieve a victory. I'm going to hedge my assets so they don't vanish to nothing, despite my government's effort to the contrary. What do you think? You're absolutely right. The So hmm. not only have, have uh, these um, – it's easy for us to to think of using these as vehicles for as hedging instruments. Yeah. But mm-hmm. the reason why we even use the term hedge is because we have the luxury of having hedging as an option. Mm-hmm. For the vast majority of the world, these aren't used as hedges. These are used as the actual currency itself. And and for a lot of for a lot of these uh, these these um, uh, nations, right? It's the reason why they're they've been utilizing these is because it's uh, contrary to fiat currency, right? Which is by its very mm. nature, it's something that's inflationary. Bitcoin is something that's actually deflationary because there is there's only a set limit by its very nature there's a set limit where it's going to hit and after that there will be no more bitcoin that gets produced so already that's the reason why when you see the the valuation of bitcoin mm-hmm. and people say well why is it why is it growing is because there's a limited supply of it and anyone that studied economics 101 understands the concept mm-hmm. of supply and demand and limiting supply and uh, and, and ensuring that, that the demand continues to grow Hmm. But couldn't that be changed? Why? Why is there? So help me as a naive listener. Sure. Why is? Why is that? Why is there a cap? Great, great question. Um, so can it be? Can it be something that's changed? Yeah. So remember when we when we um, because at the end of the day, it's code, right? Right. And, it's code. And, and code it's... can be hacked, and code can be manipulated. Right. This is where the combination. So so this is where the combination of cryptography. Okay. Plus decentralization plus distribution of the network comes into play. So if you have a hacker that manages to get into the network and is able to manipulate the code, well, one thing that I, I didn't speak about earlier is the consensus mechanism inside of that's inherent in blockchain. What do I mean by that? So it in what blockchain is, right? So blockchain is individual. As you write a transaction, that transaction gets put on a ledger and that transaction is what's called – what's known as a block. That gets put up there. Then the next transaction – and that transaction now is there forever. That block goes up Mm -hmm. and as that block is on the ledger, that ledger now – has been distributed. Where does it get distributed? Across the network. That network comprises of 
thousands, hundreds of thousands of individual nodes, and those nodes are individual computers that are sitting out on, uh, on, on across the world. So it's distributed. Now, the moment that's there, they're doing the checking for it. So they're ensuring verification that it has this block that's been put out there. Is it is it legit? And when everyone says everyone says yes, it's legit. In other words, it needs to be more than fifty one percent. So long as the majority of the network says yes, it's legit, and it's easily verifiable because that that there's no way for you to go up there and change it because the only way to do that is to compromise on the entire network. And in order to do that, because of the network effects, you the cost for hacking it is going to be significantly greater. Than the, uh, than, than the value that you would derive from it. So once it gets distributed out, it's on every single network. So can it be done? Sure, it can be done. Is it pragmatic and practical to do it? And that's where and, – and, and the answer to that is no, and that's where the, that's where the real magic right, of, of <laughs> blockchain comes in. And now speaking of magic, because, Mike, I never gave out the phone number. But we have okay. a caller. How about that? We have a caller, and that and the caller's name is Gerald. And Gerald, please join us on Leadership in Action, and I hear you have a question for Saeed. He's doing an excellent job, doing the best that he can to keep it simple and short. And I say uh, <laughs> I congratulations agree. to you on that. Uh, there are a whole bunch of nuances with this technology, and I'll try to keep it short. Um, one of the because you mentioned about how this came out of the frustration of the market crash. Well, one of the other things that came out with the market crash was legislation, uh, and what the banking uh, sector did was they put circuit breakers in place so that if there was ever uh, these conditions again and there was another massive sell-off, uh, the entire market shuts down and to prevent a sell-off. Whereas with uh, the crypto world and you know its uh, strong desire to not be regulated and no legislation over top of it. Um, it's gone from under $200 million market cap all the way up to over a half a billion dollar market cap and right back down, in which case there have been people who were millionaires overnight, and then there were people who watched their portfolio that went up by 4, 5, 10x go all the way back down. Uh, do you think that there's ever going to be anything in place? Uh, because it's one of those things that can help this actually catch on, that, that safety net, that security, and knowing that my money is still going to be there and it's going to be worth a value. Great question. Thank you, Gerald. Yeah, Please. great question, Gerald. Um, and I'm glad you asked because now this allows you, this allows me to put my chief commercial officer hat great. on and talk great. a little bit about uh, our organization. So look, the reality is this, and I think, again, it's very, very important for us to see these things in context. And and before we came on air, one of the one of the things that I was, uh, that I had mentioned was that the, the, the way that time moves in the blockchain space is significantly different than how time moves in the non-blockchain space, which is the rest of the world. So a day in the blockchain world is akin to a week, if not a month, in the real world because of the pace at which things are moving, how they're evolving. So with that being said, the we have to realize that this technology that we're sitting on top of it's in its infancy, mm-hmm. right? It's it's and in its infancy, it has ballooned, as Gerald was saying, from being under uh, sub sub hundred million to over half, uh, you know, half a trillion, and uh, and and 
this is and so the fluctuations are definitely it's it's part and parcel of what happens with any sort of a in a in a growing market that has not reached maturity just yet so the way to the way to 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 tackle that is a patience b <laughs> be smart in terms of the sorts of investments that you're making right um educate yourself and then C, let innovation run its course. Let innovation continue to drive. And that's where a lot of these emerging blockchain technology companies, such as a BankX, comes into play. So what, what we're doing is yeah. we are instituting, leveraging uh, blockchain technology. We're instituting these, uh, these, these components in play where you're, you're, you're putting in things where – Security around the customer, right? Having ensuring that you have escrow, you have trust services built around, you have anti-money laundering procedures that are automated that are, that have been put into place. We're putting, we're 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 building out exchanges, and then these exchanges will have such controls, um, and all of these are done within the confines of a regulatory framework. What I would say that we shouldn't do is all of a sudden try to become so. Uh, to take on this protectionist mindset where we shut the technology down out of fear of change so that um, – so so you're, you're impeding on innovation. So there's a fine balance. Yeah, interesting. So just to stay on that for a minute, I think I'm hearing this, that the, uh, the web has been liberating in that it crosses boundaries – goes across state boundaries, national boundaries, extremely mm -hmm. difficult to regulate, although there are a lot of efforts that we know about. That said, it feels to me, from what you've just said this evening, uh, good luck to national regulators, central banks, <laughs> in trying to uh, create a whole set of regulations for this world because I think it can't work. What, what do you think? So – Look, I mean, we are constantly working with banks. We are constantly mm -hmm. working with regulators. I think what this is going to th – there's a new world that we're entering in right now where before it used to be a us versus them mindset. It was the authorities against the institutes, against the individuals, right? That was sort of the mindset at least or the perception that people had. That perception needs to change and, and, mm -hmm. and, and, and you know, to – in, in you know, to be completely honest, I think there was some truth behind that as well, right? There was a reason behind that that stigma that that existed. Now, what you're starting to see is the, the technology is starting to bring people together, where it's which we're not on opposite sides of the table, but we have to all sit together and figure it out collectively and say, okay, here is where it's going. So, what can we institute? Let's work collectively and start to do that. And a technology like blockchain. This is one of the reasons why it's 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 being called a revolutionary technology that goes beyond just uh, just investments or or beyond currency. This is truly something that's going to change the uh, change the way the mm. world functions. Yeah. Mike, you look like you had a follow up I've question. Got a, I've got a question, not quite follow up, an extension <laughs> question. Okay, uh, Said, I'm really intrigued by your title, Chief Commercial Officer, yeah. and. Maybe we could substitute the word innovation for commercial. I have a hunch <laughs> yeah. that that's probably yeah. a lot of what you do. Uh, this is a show about leadership, and so I, we all have a huge interest in this uh, blockchain world for sure. But now drawing more specifically from how you are innovating in this kind of world, 
uh, and how you're acting commercially. Give us a couple <laughs> thoughts on how you're leading the change. Sure. So I can l- l- let me let me position it this way: the if you were to substitute the commercial with the innovation, which I like, it's I. I I do have to clarify that that innovation, that's not me. It's its the team that I have been extremely fortunate to to have uh, at, and, and be a part of. Just like block, blockchain. <laughs> yes. Somebody got it going, but everybody's added to it. <laughs> and and tell us about the team. How many are on the team? So we uh, – so, so, so BankX has been growing by leaps and bounds. We <laughs> – again, you know, like I said about about – time working in a completely different paradigm that it does in the real world uh, versus <laughs> versus the blockchain world. And the reason why I say a real world is because a lot of times with the kind of growth that we're experiencing and what we're changing and what we're seeing, it sort of does feel like we're living in a fantasy world. Um, yet we're realistic enough to realize that it's not. So we plan for it accordingly. Uh, and we've been – we are now up to – just just under 200 employees mm. globally um, we are so we have been you know we're facing all the all the interesting challenges that a startup sure. would face mm-hmm. but then 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 combine that with a startup that's in a startup industry called mm-hmm. blockchain yeah. and then multiply that with having an international footprint and international presence so when you talk about challenges it's Riddled with challenges, so part and parcel of my job is to try and solve for those challenges, and it's by leveraging the right sets of combination people, processes, and technology all instilled into one. Is there a secret sauce there? That's a good question. <laughs> I think, yeah. So, so, so I think the the the, the secret sauce is that now to be non-secret. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. So, so, but but that, that that's exactly yeah. it. Is is the, the the secret is that really it's no one knows what how to figure it out. There's nuances right. associated with each and every problem. You just have to be. You need to have the ability to be quick on your toes and be able to pivot and adjust as things come at you. Yeah. So, Saeed, is your role more outward facing? In other words, with clients or prospective uh, investors. Yes, so it's it's a combination of both, right? So as uh, I'm, I'm ultimately my responsibility is for our for all of our commercial processes. Um, so what that means is investors. That means clients. That means um, uh, dealing with uh, partners. Mm-hmm. All of these things, right, which ultimately come – we're a business, and a business needs to generate revenue. And how do you generate that revenue, right, through – that's the institution of all of our commercial processes. So it's things – if you think about things like sales, marketing, partnerships, all these things intertwine, and that, that's, that becomes a part of our commercial process. And now in generating revenue, are you generating revenue in – Cryptocurrency or in dollars or both. <laughs> so we're we're given the state yeah. of where ideally we would like to be uh, in 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 a state where 
the entire world is operating on uh, on on you know a cryptocurrency and we've become digitized but that's the ideal state the reality is that we're far from that right now so we are operating in the currency of our clients um, if they are operating if they are operating in the world of crypto then we operate in the world of crypto and if they operate in the world of fiat then we operate in the world of fiat what's crucial is that regardless of which format we're operating in, depending on who we're dealing with, we're regulatory compliant. That's uh, crucial. Mm, mm. Okay. Say we're getting close to the end of yeah. our time, and I'd like to ask you about becoming you. Right. So <laughs> if we have a few listeners age 19, they're probably at a university in some cases where you can't major in Bitcoin technology yet, <laughs> but they're, maybe they're engineering but getting away from the particulars there, what advice would you have for somebody that is really interested in taking on the kind of functions you have now that are both commercial and technical at the same time? Be curious and know yourself. So technology – if you're someone who is a – it's very important for you to not try to be like me. Right, just has how it's 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 one of the earliest lessons that I learned in my career was you have to understand what your strengths are, but more importantly, you have to understand what your weaknesses are. Right? Everyone knows what, generally speaking, right? Generally speaking, most people know what their strength is, but what most people are not cognizant of is what their weakness is. So, and the worst way to find out what your weakness is is to end up doing something only to realize that you absolutely hate it. <laughs> True enough. <laughs> uh, to get to that yeah. uh, road with uh, something you really like to do, and I, I can feel it in your voice. You're really enjoying life and what, what you're doing for sure. You ought to major in management. You ought to major in engineering. You ought to become a uh, electrical engineer. You got to work for five years in commercial banking and kick over to the area. What, what, what's your your hot your your stepping stone, so to speak? So, so this is this is going to be interesting. Sitting here at Wharton and 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 saying what I'm about to say, but I have had a very very nonlinear trajectory. I I launched my first company when I was a senior in high school. And then uh, there's really been no looking back since. So I never Good. went the formal academic route. Yeah. You're self-taught. I'm self-taught. Awesome. Um, I wouldn't say I'm self-taught. Uh, what I would say is that I have learned quite a bit from the experience of others, just not within the confines yeah. of a traditional right. educational setting. Uh. That's so good. Very good. So when you were, say, seven years old, did you imagine that you would be the chief commercial officer? Of Bank X, no. But when I was eight years old, I did. I would say, so. Okay, so maybe, maybe I technically I sort of lied earlier when I said that I <laughs> launched my first company when I was a senior in high school. When I was eight years old was when I launched my first unofficial business, um, and I say unofficial because it wasn't incorporated. This was in India, which is where I grew oh. up. Um, or I actually grew up here, but I spent yeah. some time in India. And uh, it was a comic book store, uh, comic book rental, not a store. That was the first foray into uh, into business for me. 
And that's when I found out very, very quickly, man, I really like this business stuff. <laughs> that's so good. I want to do this. So if listeners want to, wanted to find out more about BankX, uh, what would you tell them? Follow our Twitter. Go on. Go to www.bankx.com. Uh, reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn. Reach out to reach out to anyone who's on BankX. We're very, very accessible. And and I want to use this opportunity to say, if you guys are interested in blockchain, if you guys are interested in fintech, if you guys are interested in innovation, don't wonder. Come be a part of us. Join us. We're looking. We're constantly looking. We're looking for the best of the best, and uh, we're looking for people like me who could – and if you're a cynic, I want to talk to you even more right? because <laughs> so I good. want people like me. I want someone who could come in as a cynic and then become the greatest evangelist. So great. Well, Saeed Hussein, thank you so much for joining us this evening. It was a pleasure yeah, speaking with you. It's been great. Thank you. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.